evening all to the 99th session of the weekly huddle i'm your host anup and joining me today is my friend and co-host uh, pranith we are cardiologists working at care hospital the huddle is an unscripted audience level interaction where we address common clinical scenarios that we encounter in our daily clinical practice we typically pick up a topic or a clinical case and restrict our discussion around that the basic premise of the huddle is to bring our casual hallway discussions to a more organized platform like this one and share our ideas. While we do welcome science and guidelines, with the huddle we intend, a, intend to help a physician translate established knowledge to clinical practice, taking local factors and practice patterns into account. This is not a speaker and an audience model rather than that it's a mere casual interaction which means any of the attendees can raise their hand or unmute themselves to give their input as and when uh, they find it necessary. As a courtesy, you should wait for others to finish their thoughts before you unmute yourself. With this brief introduction, I will uh, start uh, uh, our 99th uh, session for this. Uh, we have been doing it for close to two years now. And uh, I will uh, start with the case and uh, I will ask uh, uh, my colleague Praneet to give his initial impression about the case and then later on I will ask uh, uh, my attendees for their approach and uh, to navigate us through today's topic we are joined with Dr. Raghuram, he is a gastroenterologist uh, working in Hyderabad. He will be helping us uh, navigate some of the uh, clinical details and how to go about with this particular patient. So the case for today is a 46-year-old uh, male. He visited me last month. Uh, he is an IT professional. Uh, he has been working from home for close to two, two and a half years now. He came for routine checkup as part of his master health checkup. Uh, in his company, he's allowed to do a master health checkup once a year. He didn't do it during the COVID time. So this is one that he's doing almost after three years of what he did previously. Uh, he denies any active complaints. He consumes uh, alcohol occasionally. Uh, he does not smoke. There is no any relevant family history that we need to discuss about. He otherwise minds his, his business. He had been his physical activity has been kind of restricted a little bit with his uh, change in work that has happened in the last uh, two and a half years. His physical exam is notable for uh, overweight uh, male. His BMI is uh, 28. Uh, his height is 5 feet 9 inches. So probably his weight would be somewhere of the order of maybe 82, 84, something like that. His blood pressure in the clinic uh, was 138 over 86. The rest of the physical examination was within normal limits. And this is, you can imagine, a cardiologist examining. So we are not quite thorough with the examination. We just do a basic uh, systems uh, exam and there uh, he passed most of what uh, I was doing. These are the reports from his master health checkup. I'm going to read it out to you and if there is anything in particular you want me to tell you, you can ask me uh, during the course of the discussion. So his uh, hemogram, renal profile including electrolytes, TSH and uh, urine routine examination, they were all within normal limits. His cholesterols, the numbers uh, for the cholesterol I have already put up uh, in the WhatsApp group. Uh, his total cholesterol was 206, HDL was 38, LDL was 112 and triglyceride was 212. 
he also got ECG and Ecuador as a part of package which was also within normal limits so were his chest x-ray in his ultrasound abdomen there was this mention of grade 2 fatty liver uh, the liver itself was of normal size and there was no other significant abnormality on the uh, ultrasound so he came to me with this uh, set of reports uh, of course in his master health checkup there was uh, an assessment with cardiologist also as a part of the assessment that's how he's sitting and talking to me he does not have uh, as i said any active complaints he did get his covid vaccination he never got any other vaccination in his life in his adult life i must say so the discussion point we i have uh, jotted down and uh, we are trying to restrict our discussion around this uh, which is uh, this grade 2 fatty liver which was concerned concerning to him because that was the only glaring abnormality that he could see in his reports uh, these are the abnormalities which are typically printed in um, bold letters so patients are able to um, uh, pick it up much easily he does not recollect having such a report previously as i said his last master health checkup was more than three years ago but he does not recollect any such in his previous report so the discussion point for today's case is uh, what is this fatty liver grading particularly for general physician or cardiologist like us in terms of if these patients come to us uh, how are we supposed to react is there a clinical relevance for these these findings what should be the first order of business in such cases beyond uh, advising weight loss and whatnot uh, are there something else that we are supposed to do is there any need for further imaging particularly if we need to do any kind of ct scan or any fancy ultrasounds or whatnot is it something that we are expected to do and lastly when to trigger a referral to gastroenterologist particularly uh, with reference to developing uh, nafld that is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease uh, or leading to what we call as nash cirrhosis is it something that uh, uh, just the finding of grade 2 fatty liver should be enough for us to um, uh, go towards that path or we can uh, ignore for the time being i don't know the answers to that typically most of us we have our own way of handling such scenarios so i would love to hear what uh, my colleagues uh, typically do and then we will go back to we'll go to dr raghuram for his expert opinion on this case so praneet if this patient was to come to you i believe you shared with me uh, actually one such patient who came to your clinic today so you can briefly mention about that patient as well but first tell me what would you do with this patient uh, with regard to the discussion points that i mentioned praneet all yours right Uh, good evening everyone so this patient um, again related to topic uh, i have um, little information and i'm here more to learn today the way i look at is uh, the ultrasound report i look at the size of the liver and probably look at liver function test uh, if the liver function test is okay uh, more importantly the parameters i'm trying to look in liver function test is the enzymes uh, sgot sgpt if they are 2 to 3 times uh, elevated than upper limit of normal that seems to be having some form of hepatitis i'll also look at uh, his uh, albumin albumin essentially indicating the synthetic function of liver which uh, if it is fine then i believe the liver overall is working fine then uh, size of the liver being normal and liver function test essentially normal then probably i believe his liver liver is working fine and i kind of uh, uh, reassure the patient and Uh, take it easy. Uh, if there is anything that is uh, other than this, probably I would uh, refer the patient to gastroenterologist. 
I'm not completely sure about this. I equally would like to learn uh, whether my approach is right in this regard. Regarding uh, today's patient whom I saw, again, uh, it's an old follow-up patient. I manage essentially her hypertension. 68 lady, vegetarian. And uh, she recently had some uh, ophthalmology, ophthalmology issue. She was having some retinal bleeds uh, where she was seen by ophthalmologist and he suggested to take a combination of antiplatelet and statin. So when the so-called antiplatelet and statin were there as a kind of a physician and as a cardiologist, they came to me for opinion whether they can um, take this. And during the discussion, they also said they underwent a routine health checkup because they also have a gastroenterology physician in their closed circuit who ordered the regular investigation, which included ultrasound. The ultrasound report essentially also included um, the finding of elastography and uh, it had some values which I cannot interpret and there is a mention saying that uh, this uh, elastography findings or reports are there and um, he suggested to kind of uh, use some drugs and then uh, plan was to do a CT after three months review if things do not improve. The drugs did not include anything special. It was one appetite stimulant and Ayurvedic preparation and one uh, saroglitazar. I think probably with the dyslipidemia that he added, uh, it did not uh, make any sense to me in relation to fatty liver. Yeah, her liver enzymes were okay. OTPT were slightly elevated, something in 43-45 range. Albumin and other parameters looked okay to me. So that is uh, another case which almost had the uh, same thing as the case of discussion today. So I am more to learn and equally want to learn whether my approach was right in this patient. So Praneet, question about your patient that you just mentioned. Was this, is this patient diabetic? No, non-diabetic. Non-diabetic. So you, you believe that the seroglitazar was primarily given for uh, this elastography finding? I, I don't know whether that was given for elastography finding or whether that is for hypertriglyceridemia. I did not pay attention to a lipid profile, but I when I verified the brand names, these are the two things that I found. Okay. Okay. And uh, you are pretty sure that this liver elastography was done as a part of package, right? As a yes. part of the screening package. Yes. So we have, I will, I'll meet you Praneet. Um, so I think that uh, you brought up a lot of things which I don't have an answer to and that is what we are going to discuss today. The role of liver function test, I think that is quite obvious. I did order liver function test on this patient, although truly speaking, I don't know how to interpret it. You mentioned about three times the upper limit of normal. I'm not expecting him to have, be having any kind of hepatitis, so I don't, I, I'm not expecting his LFTs to be more than three times normal. But whether even if his LFTs are one and a half to two times normal with a fatty liver, is that something to be concerned about or not? That is that is one thing that uh, we probably should uh, learn today. Uh, this liver elastography, I have heard in the context of uh, liver cirrhosis, but whether uh, outside of the liver cirrhosis context, whether it has got any relevance or not, that also we shall discuss today. And uh, the role of CT scan again is something that we understand. Ayurvedic preparations, in fact, uh, all the so-called modern medicine, when they talk about why uh, Ayurvedic preparations should be regulated, uh, they mostly relate towards liver toxicity and uh, renal toxicity. Uh, 
So if we are talking about uh, a liver problem, then uh, Ayurvedic preparation should be, at least in my opinion, should be one thing that we should stay away from. And the role of saroglitazar probably in hypertriglyceridemia does have some role. Whether it has a role in uh, liver function or not, that is also something that we should learn today. So Pranit, thank you for uh, that starting point. I will continue my discussion with my attendees today. We have a very shallow at attendance. So I'll start with Dr. Shankar. Dr. Shankar is a senior physician who has been here with uh, us in the huddle for more than 50 sessions now. So uh, Dr. Shankar, if you could give us uh, your viewpoint on this patient and in the meantime, I also invite if there is any other attendee who do want to share their thought, please you can compose your thought and once Dr. Shankar is done, uh, feel free to share your thoughts about this. Uh, Dr. Shankar, all yours. Good evening to all. Uh, this is uh, an incidental uh, finding on uh, uh, health executive health checkup and most of the times also the patients, the they bring the reports of fatty liver in the sonogram and elevated liver enzymes also sometimes. So this is a quite incidental finding. Most of the times we come across in our clinical practice. So whenever a patient with a fatty liver report comes, most of the times it will be non-alcoholic fatty liver. Uh, NAFL. Uh, so, at the same time, when we doc when we document that it is a case of NAFL, there should be demonstration of uh, this hepatic steatosis so that is a fatty liver, and exclusion of the significant uh, alcoholic consumption. Here. This patient is occasionally alcoholic. Occasionally alcoholic means it won't contribute to this case of NAFLD. That is a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So to say that significant alcoholic consumption history, at least 21 standard drinks per week, more than 21 standard drinks per week in men or more than 14 standard drinks per week in women over at least a two-year period. This is given by the American Association of Study of Liver Diseases. Uh, this is a guideline. So what is the standard drink? The standard drink means it may be anything, wine, whiskey, brandy, uh, but uh, it should contain 14 grams of pure alcohol, around 18 ml. So roughly i do i'm a teetotaler uh, i don't know but uh, one glass of wine per day if uh, if anybody consumes over a period of two years he, he should be he is considered to be uh, having a significant alcoholic consumption or alcoholic so here this patient is not alcoholic because occasionally uh, and when the patient comes with the report of fat, fatty liver we should exclude other causes of hepatic steatosis, the other causes of fatty liver. The other causes of fatty liver are plenty. The, apart from alcohol, which is the commonest one, and the drug-induced uh, steroids, amidurone, methotrexate, diltiazem, tamoxifen, uh, antiretroviral therapy, and uh, 
methotrexate, hepatitis C, Wilson's disease, Reyes syndrome, and uh, acute fatty liver in pregnancy and HELP syndrome, that hemolysis and uh, elevated liver enzymes and low platelet count. So these we come across in only in pregnancy. So these conditions should be other other than that endocrinopathies like even hypothyroidism, Cushing syndrome, hypopituitarism, and PCOAD, PCOD that is a polycystic ovarian disease, and A beta lipoproteinemia, obstructive sleep apnea, excessive fructose consumption, excessive soft drink. A habit of taking soft drinks, uh, starvation and the refeeding also gives rise to fatty liver and total parental nutrition, TPN also. So these are all conditions. Whenever the patient comes with the fatty liver, we should exclude uh, before we label it as a NAFLD. And uh, the absence of coexisting chronic liver diseases, the chronic liver diseases also will have some amount of fatty liver or NASH, that is a non-alcoholic, steatohepatitis, fibrosis, cirrhosis and all these features may be seen. So, we should rule out associated chronic liver diseases like hepatitis C, hepatitis B, hepatitis A also and autoimmune hepatitis. So, Wilson's disease and all these, they should be ruled out. So, the causes of fatty liver, then uh, the alcoholic consumption should be ruled out and at the same time the chronic liver diseases associated should be ruled out also to label it as a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. The, it is asked, uh, so that's why most of the times it is associated with uh, this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as everybody knows, this is associated most of the times with the obesity. Insulin resistance, diabetes mellitus, hypertriglyceridemia, metabolic syndrome, most of the times. So it will be associated with the these conditions will show a fatty liver. So that's why this NAFLD, so far non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, what we are talking about, it is recently it is renamed as MAFLD, that is metabolic associated or metabolic dysfunction associated fatty liver disease. So instead of NAFLD, so uh, most of the times uh, uh, the latest guidelines, they say that it is a MAFLD. So what are the risk, uh, the risk factors for this uh, fatty liver or obesity, insulin resistance, as I alluded to, insulin resistance, diabetes, the gut uh, dysbiosis, altered bile acid uh, metabolism, genetic factors are there, polymorphisms, polymorphisms are there, hispanic race, then psoriasis. Most of the times uh, in the active phase of psoriasis, uh, they come with fatty liver. And cholecystectomized individuals, not uh, patients with uh, gallstones, but already because of for the gallstones, if the, if the patient is cholecystectomized, he is prone to get fatty liver. And uh, physical inactivity, uh, these are all uh, uh, predisposed to NAFLD. So, having known about the NAFLD, the, it progresses to 
this hepatic steatosis that is the fatty liver progresses to non alcoholic uh, steatohepatitis that means inflammation will set in because of the inflammation there will be apoptosis of the hepatocytes so necro inflammation what we say this will progress to fibrosis and uh, ultimately that will end up in cirrhosis and cirrhosis will be decompensated and go for liver transplantation if the meld score is more than 10 so that is the progressive stages of uh, this fatty liver hepatic steatosis steatohepatitis fibrosis then cirrhosis these are the stages uh, what we see in the progression of the uh, this uh, non alcoholic fatty liver disease or mafold or mafold so then uh, how to know that there is a only fatty liver only fatty infiltration whether there is inflammation or there or not whether there is any fibrosis has set in or not or whether patient has developed cirrhosis all these things we the gold standard is the liver biopsy but liver biopsy is not a easy procedure here it is an invasive one it is it is associated with many complications and we selectively take out only small sample of particular uh, particular site only entire liver we cannot uh, uh, examine histopathologically then so there is inter and intra personal uh, that is observer variation will be there the sampling variation will be there so because of all these reasons the liver biopsy and uh, it is associated with the complication that's why more most of the times 90% we avoid the liver biopsy in these cases so what are the other tests which are equivalent to liver biopsy reports that means the non invasive tests like image imaging or serological tests are there which will give us the the picture akin to liver histopathology by liver biopsy so for that so many tests are there apri is there ani is there but uh, bad score is there but most of the times we select only two for me uh, i select only two nafold uh, fibrosis score or uh, uh, fib uh, 4 fib 4 index so where the ast alt age uh, platelet count body mass index albumin is dr pranith alluded to then uh, impaired fasting glucose if the patient is a diabetic is blood glucose levels so these parameters will be taken this is the this uh, uh nafold fibrosis score is available over the internet we can download it so uh, these parameters are included in that then we will get a score if the score is less than minus 1.455 it rules out fibrosis there is no fibrosis at all then if it is more than 0.676 it predicts fibrosis if it is in between it is indeterminate likewise the fib4 index 
the fibrosis 4 index that uh, gives their ast alt age and a then a platelet count these will be taken into criteria and will get the if it is less than 1.30 it rules out fibrosis if it is more than 2.67 it predicts fibrosis so these these are the non invasive serological uh, indirect markers for the fibrosis then uh, there are images are there many images are there depending on the on the, the availability of uh, these uh, machines in the corporates uh, but more, we most of the times we go for the trans uh, uh, transient elastography that is uh, available uh, many a district headquarters here we don't have this trans elastic uh, transient elastography that is a fibro scan but uh, but uh, technicians are sometimes uh, gastroenterologists they carry the portable machines uh, once in a week to headquarters and they will do uh, this uh, Uh, elastography of the scan, uh, uh, fibro scan of the liver. There, this is uh, it correlates very well with the liver uh, histopathology by liver biopsy. If the the fibro scan value, if it is six, uh, see in, in the liver uh, the histopathology in that uh, they mention if it is uh, no fibrosis, that is uh, zero. if there is a portal fibrosis without septa that is f1 if the portal fibrosis with a few septa that is f2 if the portal fibrosis with a numerous septa without cirrhosis that is f3 if there is a cirrhosis then is f4 this is histopathological grading of uh, liver fibrosis the same thing we correlated here if there is a in the fibro scan the value is a, Uh, 6 that is equivalent to 0 normal 6 to 8 it is f1 and f2 and 8 to 12 it is f3 if the fibro scan value is more than 12 it, the patient has already got cirrhosis this is uh, the fibro scan report so it predicts uh, it is most reliable uh, investigation and others are there Uh, acoustic uh, radiation force impulse that is rc by the siemens acuson s2000 machine if they have got they go for this rc if they have got to mr elastography or spectroscopy uh, mapping will be there and uh, where uh, that fatty liver or fibrosis or cirrhosis there that will be very well, well mapped that is mre or mrs these are the imaging studies so when we combine this uh, uh, nafold fibrosis score and the fib4 index along with the images fibro scan or rf or uh, mr elastography or spectroscopy 100% will get the the report akin to liver biopsy report histopathological we can 100% we can correlate this is uh, so having known that the patient has got to, uh, hepatic steatosis or nash that is 
non-alcoholic steatohepatitis or fibrosis or cirrhosis, depending on that, we will uh, manage the case. So, as everybody knows that we abstain from the alcohol, immunization, it was mentioned, uh, adult vaccinations uh, to be administered, then uh, we should be maffled, that is a metabolically active uh, fatty liver disease. Uh, there were the risk factors. Uh, it, uh, most of the risk factors are akin to this cardiovascular disease. So hypertension, here the patient is also hypertensive. And a dyslipidemia also, this patient has got uh, uh, increased LDL, low HDL, and the triglycerides are more. So this is a typical Indian uh, dyslipidemic, dyslipidemic patient where, see, why saraglitazor is written here means, uh, the, for the same reason. In the Indian dyslipidemics, whether they are diabetic or non-diabetic, if this picture is seen, we give saraglitazor, that is a dual PPAR uh, receptor antagonist, uh, PPAR alpha and PPAR gamma. The PPAR alpha has got uh, this uh, fibrate-like action will be there. The PPAR gamma has got a pyoglitazone, what we use in the diabetes, pyoglitazone-like action, where, because we said that this NAFILD is because of the insulin resistance. So, to for the insulin resistance, there, there are very good drugs are there, that two drugs are there, that is metformin and pyoglitazone. But the only thing, the drawback with the pyoglitazone is, it increases the weight gain. So, Already, this uh, fatty liver is associated with obesity and overweight. So, this pyoglitazone also increases. And uh, so, that's why in the recent guidelines, the pyoglitazone is uh, dropped and uh, tapered and stopped. So, so, here the patient has got a dyslipidemia. That's why uh, saraglitazone is put. And uh, here, the... Uh, before correction, correcting the triglycerides, we give we correct the LDL cholesterol. That's why we give statins. Heterostatin can be started here. And uh, if the patient is not uh, non-diabetic, but if the patient is a diabetic, metformin can be given, and the GLP-1 uh, receptor antagonist uh, agonist will be given, liraglutide and the semaglutide, which is uh, coming to the market, uh, uh, but it is quite expensive. More than 10,000 uh, rupees per month we should spend. Uh, semaglutide, it is a peptide in a pill, oral pill. Uh, that is also indicated uh, uh, in diabetic uh, fatty livers. And uh, Dr. Satinarana is already uh, there in the huddle. So he will talk about uh, the weight loss. The weight loss is uh, the paramount important in this case of uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So if there is a 10% weight loss is there, all these things, the hepatic steatosis, NASH, fibrosis, all these will be regressed. And uh, so weight loss has got a paramount importance in this case. And the pharmacotherapy, just I will touch you here. Uh, many drugs were thought, so many are in the pipeline. But uh, here the patient is a uh, woman uh, lady uh, for 68 years. So here we can give vitamin E, non-diabetic individual. 
so we can give vitamin e so uh, 400 to 800 uh, international units uh, we can administer in this case and uh, if the uh, e e liver biochemistry uh, reveals there are elevated uh, ast or alt that sgot and uh, sgpt then we can give ursodeoxycholic acid that the urka can be prescribed 12 to 15 mg per kg body weight three usually we give 300 mg twice daily and uh, saraglitazone also here if patient can be given vitamin e urka saraglitazone uh, these can be given and uh, latest one more drug has been added into to the armamentarium of this fatty liver is obeticolic acid uh, so pentoxifilin but pentoxifilin has got uh, so many side effects of them uh we don't prescribe but obeticolic acid uh, those so many side effects are there with the obeticolic acid but obeticolic acid also it is available in the market it can be prescribed 5 to 10 mg 5 to start with the 5 mg so this is uh, uh, my uh, um, the regarding uh, this mafold that is metabolically active fatty liver disease uh, how to uh, approach uh, with a the grading uh, as i asked the grading of the fatty liver and the ultrasound is uh, if it is a diffusely uh, increased hepatic echogenicity including the periportal and uh, diaphragmatic area also there uh, the bright liver will be there and the echo then we say that it is a grade 1 a grade 2 only uh, diffuse increased hepatic echogenicity but uh, periportal area is uh, obscured in grade 3 diffusely increased hepatic echogenicity so obscuring the periportal as well as uh, diaphragmatic echogenicity here the pa- why here patient has got grade 2 fatty liver because the patient has got a diffused increased hep- hepatic echogenicity but the periportal area is obscured but diaphragmatic echogenicity is still apparent appreciable appreciate uh, appreciable in this case so that's why it is a grade 2 fatty liver so in order to uh, retard the progression of this fatty liver to the nash and fibrosis and cirrhosis over a period of 15 20 30 years so here from now onwards we should take care of uh, this uh, the by uh, what means uh, i alluded to thank you one and all thank you so much uh, shankar sir uh, i will actually invite uh, uh, satnaran sir for his comment uh, satnaran sir i have i have uh, a direct question to you other than what we have already discussed about the case so a guy who a healthy gentleman 46 year old otherwise fine comes into the opd he he seems he will be done in 2 minutes the only thing he has got is this grade 2 fatty liver and we just heard from dr shankar an absolutely elaborate analysis of grade 2 fatty liver is it something that is that is warranted in these kind of cases should we be actually exploring all the aspects that uh, is mentioned or uh, this is something which early on uh, is just a matter of some behavioral advice and follow up and what not what is your what is your take on it should we be reacting that much to a grade 2 fatty liver satnaran sir 
good evening to everybody thank you very much for asking my opinion at the outset uh, dr shankar did a excellent job by reviewing the, all the things the one thing is your direct uh, question and your direct answer for that one the finding is sinister and it has to be taken much more urgent than what dr shankar told the today epidemiologically if you look at 70 to 80% of the american population 60 to 70% of indian population if you take an ultrasound they will have a grade 1 or 2 the fatty liver so it is not unusual finding it is so common dr shankar already clearly uh, discussed the close association to the metabolic syndrome particularly this patient is in hypertensive slightly and overweight and also the dyslipidemia very very characteristic of dyslipidemia i didn't remember the uric acid level if they also will be corresponding to that one almost 99.5% i can say it is a, a fatty liver is due to the metabolic syndrome and particularly insulin resistance and the people even if they are toxic configuration like thin outside fat inside of a typical indian population they need not be overweight they need not be hypertensive but they will all have the fatty liver that itself indicates in future is going to get into the trouble particularly if there is a fatty liver it is a first stage when once the fatty liver second stage is the fat deposits in the pancreas when once the pancreas even a 1 gram of the fat around the beta cells will make him to diabetes till that before it may take 7 or 8 years but the fatty liver we can almost uh, is a predictive that these people are going to be hypertensive if they are not already or they are going to be diabetic if they are not already and also there are going to be coronary artery sclerosis that's also indicated by means of fatty liver so apart from the ultrasound finding the overweight simply defined as the waist and in the height circumference and uh, waist and the height if the 0.5 ratio even a thin looking person like me can have a more than 0.5 ratio that itself indicates the visceral fat even though the ct scans and other things can be done a simple measurement about the height versus the waist circumference and the ratio is more than 50% that itself indicates 80% of those people will have fatty liver if you do liver function test dgt is very very specific and serum ferritin and sometimes even c reactive protein they will be abnormal dgt need not be double or triple even if the higher normal is abnormal one has to take into consideration about that and most important test you have to recommend and we have to do is the craft insulin assay and we can determine the insulin resistance most of the people will have higher amount of insulin than the normal and also the the insulin which was secreted higher amounts also is ineffective and that produces the insulin resistance if anybody having a more than 2 homo ir is considered to be insulin resistant so the question is it is a predictive of all the major diseases fatty liver is open the flood gates to the gastrointestinal tract including gut biome dysbiosis and dyslipidemia and coronary vascular disease including the stroke and everything can be correlated to the fatty liver as far as the management is concerned we don't require extraordinary tests 
only does his liver function test. DGT is important, even if it is high normal, is important. Next is the craft insulin assay, can be done in most of the laboratories with a little bit amount of a paying attention to that. If the insulin resistance is more, the treatment, we need not spend thousands of rupees or even anything. The main reason everybody claims the ultra-processed or refined processed carbohydrates. Second is the seed oil. These are the two things which will produce the fatty liver. Even in those people, extremely obese people, there is one important factor that is called a personal fat threshold. The people who cross the personal fat threshold will develop the fatty liver. And second important thing is, before they develop a muscle resistance to the uh, people and adipose tissue resistance, the first thing happens to the fatty uh, liver and is manifested in terms of insulin resistance. So the people who have got a decent history of fatty liver within the two to three years of life, and also the people, particularly children, I've seen them by withholding the refined processed carbohydrates and in the fatty liver is going to be reversed. So the only important message I want to send one is it is a sinister and we have to take very seriously about this one. Two, insulin resistance can be measured and based on that one, we can treat. We don't require any extensive the pharmacotherapy for this. Metformin, as you said, Dr. Senkar, is a wonderful drug. It is going to act on the AMPK, and this is the one which is going to improve the insulin sensitivity. In that way, indirectly, it helps the fatty liver. So there is a direct measure. The reason, causal factor, is the refined processed carbohydrates and seed oils, particularly the ratio of omega-3 and omega-6, if it exceeds more than 4 is to 1, particularly the refined processed oils, they upset the ratio, and that is the cause for the fatty liver among the Indians. So if any other further doubts are there, I am ready to answer those things. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Thank you so much, sir. That was wonderful insight. So, Raghuram, sir, the floor is yours. You heard a cardiologist giving his opinion about this. You heard a general physician, and you heard a CT surgeon. Uh, with with uh, expertise in uh, diet metabolism and whatnot. So if this patient was to come to you, uh, walk us through how would you manage this patient and uh, of all the discussion, what we got wrong, what we got right, more with a very uh, pragmatic way to approach this patient. Raghuram, sir, you can take rest of the time. Yeah, uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, am I audible? Yes, sir, you're audible. Uh, yeah, so uh, Dr. Shankar and Dr. Satinarana have made my job very easy. Um, now, the problem is very common, like uh, it has been already mentioned. So in general population, Indian scenario, I would say almost 30%. Uh, this is a more pragmatic figure, I would say. 30% uh, of the general population is what uh, we see in day-to-day -day practice. Uh, now, when we talk about a diabetic population, the uh, percentage increases drastically to almost 80 to 90%. So when we are talking about such a common problem, uh, how do we approach the um, issue? Do we disregard all of them saying that this is a common problem and they need not worry too much about that. 
and uh, do we put more emphasis on the grading of the fatty liver based on the ultrasound and uh, uh, what all things need to be taken care of so uh, when a typical uh, patient as has been mentioned comes to me i uh, look for features which can uh, uh give me a clue regarding fibrosis extensive fibrosis or presence of a advanced uh, liver disease in the form of cirrhosis so what would they be now most of the times they come with a complete health checkup which includes a complete blood picture so low platelet count is one of the earliest markers which points towards a uh, advanced uh, liver fibrosis Uh, then when we talk about the liver function test uh, low albumin or a, a albumin globulin ratio reversal to be more specific uh, and on ultrasound if there is evidence of splenomegaly or irregular outline of the liver you know it's pretty pretty obvious that we are dealing with the case of cirrhosis right now uh, yeah uh if we look at the etiology things uh, it will be a never ending list but we need to uh, look for common problems which can lead to fatty liver and when we talk about that most common thing would be uh, weight being on the higher side then uh, second common reason would be alcohol in significant proportions as has been already mentioned and uh, third and uh, the uh, another common reason would be diabetes now triaging people into these three categories is important because uh, no uh, fatty liver disease when it is associated with bmi increased bmi it is a reversible phenomenon fatty liver when it is associated with diabetes it is an irreversible thing so it's like controlling the diabetes you can only aim for a proper sugar control but uh, curing the diabetes is not a possible thing so curing uh, fatty liver is also not possible in such scenario and the third scenario significant alcohol intake once the alcohol intake is curbed then things tend to uh, get back to normal right so uh, that would be regarding the prognostication then uh, regarding the importance of uh, uh grading or the severity of uh, fat deposition in the liver uh this doesn't carry much significance because we tend to see people who have grade 1 fatty liver who have extensive uh, liver enzyme elevation and who are on the path to uh, an advanced uh, liver problem and we also see people who have grade 4 fatty liver but still uh, don't show any features of uh, advanced liver damage now to talk in terms of percentage if we are dealing with uh, 100 people who have fatty liver around 5 to 10% will go on to develop cirrhosis in their lifetime right if they have coexisting diabetes the frequency tends to be slightly higher we can double the percentage to almost 10 to 20% lifetime risk of developing cirrhosis and uh, now uh, whenever i counsel patients i tell them that the fatty liver should not be seen as an isolated liver related problem uh, it should be seen as a systemic disease and uh, so when fatty liver is there coexisting problems like diabetes uh, elevated blood pressure deranged lipid profile these tend to uh, coexist or 
they tend to arise in the near future. And uh, interestingly, what has been seen is, if we look at 100 people who have fatty liver, uh, I have already mentioned the frequency of uh, people who tend to develop cirrhosis, which is around 5 to 10% in normal people. And in diabetes, it is almost 10 to 20%. Now, what happens to the remaining 80 to 90%? Now, it has been uh, seen in many studies that uh, the major uh, risk, uh, major uh, uh, cause of mortality and morbidity in people who have fatty liver uh, is cardiovascular, and it is not liver-related issue. So, uh, that uh, tends to clear uh, things uh, a bit and we need to emphasize on the systemic nature of the illness and the risk of cardiovascular mortality and morbidity. Uh, and uh, now once we have done that, uh, we need to identify the people who are at high risk of progression to advanced liver fibrosis or cirrhosis. Uh, now, how do we identify that? There are certain uh, features like uh, if the BMI is more than 28 or coexistence of diabetes or enzyme liver, uh, you know, liver enzymes being on the higher side or presence of uh, uh, Mallory Highline and uh, liver inflammation on liver biopsy. These are certain things which tend to uh, give us an idea that uh, they are at a high risk of developing advanced liver disease in the form of cirrhosis. So we need to identify these subgroup of people and uh, in them, aggressive measures need to be taken, right? Now, uh, regarding the importance of uh, the um, measures to lo look at the fibrosis. Now, I have already mentioned that grading of fatty liver on the ultrasound may not be carrying much significance. Now, why this is important is most of the studies which have been done in fatty liver, they uh, notice that it is the fibrosis which is a determinant of the morbidity and mortality, not the extent of fat deposition, right? So we need to uh, have good measures to measure the fibrosis of the liver. And when we talk about measuring the fibrosis of liver, uh, the common modalities which are universally available, and uh, which can be easily analyzed, uh, we need to talk about uh, transient elastography or fibroscan. Now, one common mistake that we tend to see whenever a person is advised to undergo the fibroscan is, the person tends to have very high liver enzymes, say above 100 or uh, even uh, of a higher range. In such scenarios, if we advise a uh, fibroscan or an elastography, the values tend to be spuriously on the higher side. Or in proper terminology, we call this as a false positive value, right? So in such scenarios, you tend to get high uh, fibroscan values, usually above 12. And uh, now once the patient sees these values, the, you know, a cycle of panic and unnecessary confusion starts uh, to build up. To avoid that thing, we always need to ensure that the liver enzymes are not grossly elevated before we order a fibroscan or any kind of uh, investigation to look at the fibrosis uh, measurement. 
So uh, when we talk about uh, what would be the ideal range, I would say anything less than 50 or around 50 is okay range when we can advise for a fibro scan. Now on fibro scan, uh, yeah, Dr. Shankar has already mentioned that uh, the values at which it indicates a problematic thing. So about 12 and 13, definitely we are dealing with the cirrhosis and in such situations, uh, we need to look for any correctable factors and uh, address them accordingly. Treatment-wise, uh, the options are very, very limited. In non-diabetics, we tend to uh, put them on uh, vitamin E uh, supplements. Again, the problem with vitamin E is uh, it has been found to be associated with uh, hemorrhagic strokes, prostatic uh, enlargement, and related problems. So, we need to be cautious when we prescribe vitamin E to these people. And uh, the other agents would be obviously pioglitazone, but uh, it would lead to weight gain. And uh, the new agents like liraglutide, which is a GLP-1 agonist, uh, has been purported as one of the agents. Saroglitazone, again, the, all the evidence is uh, in the Indian scenario itself. We don't have much evidence uh, uh, regarding the utility of saroglitazol uh, in uh, the Western population, right? So, yeah, universally all guidelines talk about uh, vitamin E and uh, pioglitazone and liraglutide to a certain extent. Uh, so that would be my take on this uh, issue. So, Raghuram, sir, I have many questions for you. I'll start with whatever I have written here, number one. So, one of the discussion point was the first order of business in this patient. So if this patient were to come to you, yeah. I'm guessing your early orders would include a liver function test and a liver elastography. Is that correct? Uh, first is the liver function test and hepatitis uh, B and C screen to rule out uh, these infections. Hepatitis C is particularly associated with uh, fatty liver. Dr. Shankar has already mentioned that. So we'll uh, look into the, these things. Once the LFT is normal, then yeah, we proceed towards the fibro scan. And if fibro scan is also fine, then would you leave it at that or would you keep exploring further? If the fibro scan is normal, then uh, yeah, once we have categorized uh, into the three broad categories and identified the etiology, we try to address the etiology. In diabetics, it would be for aiming for a proper sugar control. In the overweight people, it would be to target the ideal body weight and in alcoholics, the uh, abstinence from alcohol. Uh, how concerned we should be when we start statins for cardiovascular uh, prevention in patients who have got established fatty liver disease, but no other, no any other high risk marker? Should we be concerned? Yeah, so recent Bavino classification, which uh, aims to guide us in matters of portal hypertension has given clarification on this issue. So the haptotoxicity with statins is uh, to the tune of one to 2%. So till the time that we are dealing with a compensated cirrhosis, we can safely prescribe statins as and when required based on the indications. In decompensated cirrhosis, say a person already has ascites, or other manifestations of uh, decompensation, we need to be cautious when we are prescribing statins. Thank you, Raghuram. Sir, Praneet, you have any question? Yes, yes, I have a question. So I, I heard uh, that uh, 
most of the uh, reports or whatever the discussion or the decision making is predominantly based on the ultrasound report be it in terms of uh, the outline of liver the evidence of fatty infiltration and other things and equally elastography i believe is done by a radiologist my question yeah. is how much is it uh, dependent particularly because when we are talking about two specialists like for cardiology echo most of the time done by a cardiologist has a better insight in looking at heart versus an ultrasound done by a radiologist do you think radiologist will have or do justice in evaluation because we are heavily dependent on uh, these report how much do you think uh, radiologist will add value and do you think we can equally need to take second opinions when doubt is in uh, doubt is high yeah to avoid that uh, bias based on you know or relying more on the radiologist we are switching over to the fibro scan which makes more sense like i have already mentioned it's not the grading of uh, fat in the liver which makes uh, uh, the disease more dangerous it is the extent of fibrosis so to a, and the extent of fibrosis is uh, measured by a fibro scan and the instrument gives you a reading right so the radiologist has got nothing to do he just needs to target the area and also here to avoid any unnecessary uh wide variability we need, we also look at the interquartile range of the uh, various values so when we are uh, doing a fibro scan they tend to take almost 10 readings and uh, if the interquartile range is more than 30% then the report is not considered as a proper one and uh, yeah, in such situations we may have to rely on other measures to go for to check for fibrosis so it's not like we are depending on the radiologist it's uh, uh, purely a reading uh, or an average of uh, 10 readings with uh, uh, due importance given to the statistics as well so if the there is wide variation between readings and the interquartile range is more than 30% then obviously such a fibro scan uh, reading carries little significance program sir is there a role for ct scan in such patients as well who do not have established fibrosis yet um no ct scan at a time was considered the gold standard just to show that uh, irregular outline of the liver or to uh, show that the liver has already shrunken uh, but uh, yeah i mean definitely going ahead with a ct scan each and every case doesn't make sense and uh, we usually don't advise uh, a ct scan customarily uh, santosh you have any question for raghuram sir or a comment hello uh, am i audible sir yeah santosh yeah. go ahead uh, sir uh, usually we find a grade 1 fatty liver uh, in most of our patients uh, now tell me sir which are the patient subset uh, we need to send for uh, fibrosis scan uh all the patients with the grade 1 starting grade 1 fatty liver needs to be sent or any particular category of patient needs to be sent for fibro scan uh yeah this being a non invasive test and uh, uh, easily available at most centers these days uh, uh, if the liver enzymes are normal even in a average risk patient we can uh, do the fibro scan as a baseline thing and if the fibro scan values indicate towards a normal thing then we can keep them under close follow up now when we say uh, the development of fibrosis this is a slow process and takes uh, at least 5 to 10 years 
and in most cases at least 10 to 15 years to progress towards cirrhosis from an f0 stage so once you have a baseline uh, fibrosis value say f0 or it is a totally normal liver then uh, the periodic uh, the need to do a repeat fibrosis scan tends to be very less so probably every 3 to 4 years you can uh, think about uh, repeating the fibrosis scan but otherwise a frequent uh, fibrosis scan won't be required at baseline definitely to extend the uh, to evaluate the extent of fibrosis yeah it can be done for each and every patient in whom the lfts are normal okay uh, thank you sir sir what is this average uh, risk category uh, patient subset sir uh no uh, i mentioned about the high risk category so those would be anyone who has bmi about 28 and uh, people who have diabetes people who take alcohol on a regular basis and people who in whom the liver enzymes tend to be elevated persistently say you repeat them at a, a gap of 6 months and the liver enzymes are persistently elevated they are at a higher risk of uh, going into advanced fibrosis barring these uh, few uh, people uh, and also one more uh, age, uh, criteria would be uh, people who are more than 15 years right phi zero so barring these uh, people uh, remaining would fall into an average uh, or a low risk uh, category okay sir. thank you sir. yeah Okay, if anybody has got any other questions or comments, uh, they can raise their hand or unmute themselves. And uh, while you gather your thought, I will ask Somaraju sir for his opinion about today's discussion. Somaraju sir. Thank you, Anup. Uh, uh, so many issues are brought up and it was a very educative session. I just want to ask, uh, uh, something uh, very naive. Uh, what is the relationship between uh, the fatty liver and uh, visceral obesity or a trunkal obesity? And then uh, when this is a risk factor for coronary artery disease, not for liver disease, uh, how, how does it uh, help uh, uh, what are their lipids like uh, in these patients? And then, are we, is it essential that most of the patients, when most of the patients today, uh, the mortality, morbidity, uh, coronary artery uh, disease and cancer today are higher than anything else? And uh, uh, this incidental finding. Uh, of uh, fatty liver, uh, does it really matter beyond a point when you have to take care of all that? Eating the right type of food and uh, doing the right type of exercises and having a purpose in life, uh, uh, does it uh, uh, make sense rather than uh, spending so much time and so much energy and uh, new technology is coming up and imaging the liver for reasons that much cannot be done. Uh, just I'm surprised about some of these issues. 
Raghuram sir, I think uh, this question is very pertinent for uh, a gastroenterologist. I think I, I hope the, the question that Sumaraju sir brought in was very clear to each one of us. Uh, we have got patients like these where there is atherosclerotic disease. We know that the risk factors are pointing more towards cardiovascular outcome. They do point towards uh, uh, hepatocellular outcome as well. But uh, as you yourself said, uh, and we know statistically that uh, uh, there is a lot of cardiovascular morbidity in these patients. There is a lot of me metabolic morbidity in these patients. Uh, in these patients subset, there is a lot to talk about. There is a lot to counsel. There is a lot to go forward. So the point here is, is it even worth looking into the fatty liver? I, I'm sure I know your answer is, but we would like to hear it from, from you. Uh, yeah. So to begin with, fatty liver is definitely associated with the visceral or, uh, uh, you know, belly fat. Uh, this is a known association. Now, looking at the frequency, we may uh, assume that uh, this being a very common issue, should we really emphasize more on uh, following it up further or is it really a matter of concern? But when we look at uh, the finer details, what I tend to see is most people, uh, people who have fatty liver, their BMI is definitely on the higher side. So when I say on the higher side, it's about 25, right? And if it is about 25, you know, I understand that in, in India, Indian culture, we tend to always emphasize on being chubby or, you know, being slightly uh, overweight as a healthy uh, aspect of uh, it. But, you know, that thing needs to uh, be curbed the way I see it. Now, during the phase when I was do, doing the uh, doing my DM in gastroenterology, that was ten years ago. We, uh, I was in the same, uh, uh, I was in the same thought process whether fatty liver is really a significant problem, because those were the days when we were dealing with uh, viral issues like hepatitis C, which uh, didn't have a proper treatment, or hepatitis B where, uh, you know, once there is an advanced liver disease, we are dealing, trying to cope up with the problem and uh, trying to salvage the patient. But off late, what we have seen is in the past 10 years, hepatitis C is a total, has become a totally curable thing. And the cure rates are astounding to the tune of almost uh, 95 to 100%, right? And uh, the armamentarium is ever expanding. So hepatitis C is gone out of the picture. Then uh, hepatitis B with the available antivirals, what we are seeing, even if there is an advanced liver disease, things are getting better once they are on antivirals and they are compliant to medication. So uh, the way I see it in the coming decade or two, it's going to be a pandemic of uh, metabolic fatty liver disease. And, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, the leading cause of cirrhosis from five to 10 years, you know, 10, 5 to 10 years from now, you know, the leading cause would be definitely the uh, fatty liver. And then probably we'll uh, open our eyes and understand the gravity of the problem. So you know, that's how the problem is. And just because it is uh, very common, we should not uh, try to downplay the problem. And uh, uh, that's the way I see this issue. 
Thank you, Raghuram sir. It is 8.12. We are 12 minutes past our scheduled time. I will ask Praneet to give his closing remarks for today's uh, discussion. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm glad I bought this topic. Uh, equally, I'm a bit scared now listening to what all has been said about uh, how common this problem is and um, how uh, grave this its uh, impact is. And uh, I should say I, I'm a bit uh, scared. Uh, having said that few things, what uh, Zumra user had equally my uh, same thought process that I also had that with most of the patients who have coronary artery disease where we tend to ask ourselves that why did this patient have CAD? Probably it is all because of metabolic issues and I believe then this so-called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease probably is one of the risk factors for coronary artery disease. As been said, 80 to 90% can have CV outcomes. So I believe uh, this will be one of the risk factors for CAD evaluation. I believe as a cardiologist, we should equally look into this thing as well. Uh, but on and all, uh, uh, it's kind of an eye-opening about uh, knowing about this entity being such common. I believe it, as a physician, everyone of us have to be aware of entity, knowing uh, about the basics of uh, uh, knowing about diagnosis, evaluation, and probably knowing when to refer to the gastroenterologist, probably equally creating awareness that uh, this is an entity which needs attention and cannot be just ignored. Uh, definitely uh, eye-opening session for me today. Thank you, Praneet. Thank you, Raghuram, sir, for uh, sparing your time with us. And uh, thank you, Satyanarayan, sir, and everybody else who participated uh, uh, in today's discussion. Uh, we are uh, pretty much, we are 14 minutes out of our scheduled time, so I won't take much to close. Uh, as I said, this is our 99th session. We do it every Wednesday and next Wednesday we will be uh, online uh, at the same time, which is Wednesday at uh, 7 p.m. And the link that you click today to join will be the same link going forward as well. So you can use the same link if you wish to join in the future as well. Thank you all. Good night. I really uh, appreciate your time. We'll see you next Wednesday.